This is episode 81 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are How to Survive a Venomous Snake Bite, How to Tell When People Are Lying to You in a Crisis, and Things to Check Before Buying a Used Firearm. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, just really quick, a, a quick update on my dad. Um, you know, I talked about it last, um, well, fr- the Friday podcast, uh, that he had um, triple bypass surgery. So the the again, the surgery went as as good as it could could have gone. Everything is 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 he's just doing really really well. He's up and walking multiple walks around the, around the hospital, um, and so things have really worked out. So uh, prayers out there. Thanks so much for that. Uh, we are believers. We believe that you know God had His hand on him, and so he's doing really really well. I uh, don't know when he'll be let you know let go of the of the hospital. You know sometimes you you just like I don't want you to stay in the hospital longer than you have to because you hear all the stories. You want them to come out, but he's doing really really well. Uh, so, hey, if you uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, on your regular podcast catcher, I am trying to broadcast live on uh, on Facebook. So we have some viewers that are that are in. I'm going to be popping in and out of Facebook Live, just checking on that. Uh, those of you that are on the podcast, you're listening, you probably won't notice because I'm just, I'll just pause the the podcast as I do that. I got a couple of things I want to talk about. I uh, on the Prepper website uh, Facebook page. Now we've got a Facebook page and we have a Facebook group. Uh, the Facebook page is kind of like where I just post stuff. I don't do a lot of hanging out there, although right now I am broadcasting live. I'm going to see what it's like to go broadcast over on the group because I think if this is working out, that's probably where I'm, I'm going to broadcast from here on out. But um, uh, the group is where you can uh, actually post. So if you've come up with something uh, that you that you know that you like to put out there to the preparedness community, uh, you can put it out there. So it doesn't have as many people as the Facebook page, but the Facebook group does have um, you know there, there's people coming and joining all the time, and then just information. And so I, again, the way it's set up is uh, you you can go ahead and drop a, a question or a comment, or you can leave a link or whatever like that. You know, there's some other groups out there that I uh, that I'm a part of that I've seen just kind of hanging out just to, to see what they're like and when someone posts a comment or a question on there uh you know man people just really dog them really bad and it could be you could be a new prepper i mean you could be new to preparedness and really have some legitimate questions that you want to ask and then you know you put it out there and people like start dogging you and i I never wanted uh i never want the facebook group um and you can go if if you want to you can go to a more self-reliant life dot com and you'll go straight there so it's a forward there uh never wanted it to be a place like that so if anyone was to ever get on and start acting and behaving like that i would shut that down pretty quickly because i want it to be a, a place where people feel comfortable and safe to come and ask questions and uh, people can help them out and give them good information but um, the reason i'm bringing that up is over on uh, the facebook page i did link to uh, a video 
I guess the founder of the Weather Channel is on CNN, and he just kind of just blows the the guy away. He's just talking about you know, you know the, the CNN host is talking about well, all these scientists have said this, and and the founder is he's like yeah because they get paid for it, and if they and they don't say those things, they're not going to continue getting paid for it and get their funding, and so he can just kind of demolishes them. Well, somebody commented on on that page that hey you know why wouldn't you want to be uh take care of the of the climate and all those kinds of things and and uh so this person um you know christine you know was kind of answering back and talking with a bunch of people and i understand exactly where she's coming from and i understand exactly where everyone else is coming from so back in the day i was uh, i was a boy scout and part of the Boy Scout tradition is to take care of the environment. I mean, we really, after we struck camp, uh, after we loaded up everything, we would walk, for as many people as we had, we would spread out on the campsite and we would walk that. I don't know uh, if, if, you're, if you were ever a Boy Scout, if you ever did this, but we would walk the length of the camp and uh, we would pick up any trash that we would. So a lot of the times we would leave that campsite cleaner than it was when we, when we got there and so i really truly believed in that and always you know take care of the environment i still believe in that the problem with the 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 climate people in you know where they're going is they want to impose and all the the paris agreement and stuff that you've seen you know with all the flack that trump was getting out of that they want to impose taxes on us, right? So basically, it's the United States pays all these taxes, and and we are not able to uh, do business like everybody else is. So you know we have to have all these different standards, these clean standards, and we have to have factories and this and that, and all these kinds of things happen. But none of the rest of the world has to you know uh, go and and abide by those things. You know, China's not going to do that. Russia's not going to do that. Uh, you know, big, you know, India, Pakistan, they're, they're not going to be doing that, but it's kind of imposed on us. And so that's the problem. Because so when this person was, was responding back, Christina was responding back, is, you know, why wouldn't you want to take care of the environment? Why wouldn't, and I don't think anyone, especially those of us in preparedness, right? Uh, those of us in preparedness don't have a problem taking care of the environment. It's important. We've got to take care of our soil. We've got to take care of our, uh, of our environment, our gardens. And, you know, I never put anything in my backyard uh, that's going to be harmful at all. Anything that could leach in, uh, you know, try not to do that at all. Um, but at the same time, I understand where people are coming like, hey, we don't want this, this infringement on us where we have to uh, you know, fork out all this money where the rest of the world is not going to abide by it. It's just another means of control. So I totally believe, I see where she's coming from. I see where everyone else is coming from. Uh, I'll link to this, uh, to, this, uh, to this post on the Prepper website. Uh, at least I think I can uh, link to it. So I'll link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out. And maybe if you want to chime in, you can chime in. Um, you know, the other side of that is not only just the, the, the Boy Scout part of it, but as, as a believer, as a Christian, I believe that we're supposed to be good stewards of our environment and, uh, you know, be good stewards of what God has given us. And so, um, you know, I, I always believed in that. But uh, I think it was very interesting. The founder of, of the Weather Channel goes and he just kind of destroys this guy. Uh, and that's, that, that's pretty funny, right? Um, this is the last day, so if you're if you're hearing this on Monday, Monday is the last day for the Prepper Bundle. Uh, I've been talking about it a little bit, but probably not pushing it as much as uh, as I should. At least for those of you who are interested in getting a lot of information very very quickly, uh, a lot of great eBooks. So um, 
I just wanted to run through these really, really quick so you get an idea. Because if you're listening through the podcast, maybe you haven't gone over there. Uh, but uh, let me just run through these these titles really quick for you, right? So Wonder Oven Recipes, The Prepper's Guide to Disaster Water Security, Your Shelf Stable Pantry, The Bohemian Ladies Journal of Wild Edibles, Meal Planning for Long-Term Food Storage, Kitchen Prepper Style, How to Bake Without Baking Powder, Food Storage Made Easy, Canning 101, a primer. Your Family Matters, essays on family and emergency preparedness. That's my contribution there. The Guide to Primitive Survival Traps, Prepared Kids, Mini Seed Saving. This is an e-course by Melissa Norris. We've had her on before, as, uh, uh, or, and I've talked about her, her webinar. Uh, Low-Tech Solutions to High-Tech Problems, um, How to Stop Burglars, 50 Ways to Make Survival Tools from Trash and Household Items, Family Preparation in the City and Suburbia, Aftermath, A Story of Survival, A Prepper's Anthology of the Collapse of Venezuela, Six Steps to, to Your Quick Win Emergency Kit, Homemade First Aid Kit, Simple 72-Hour Kits, Build Your Own Emergency Off-Grid Power System, Build a Cobb-Style Rocket Mass Heater, How to Embrace an Off-Grid Lifestyle, Keys to Successful Homesteading, Living Off the Grid, Organization, Your First Step to Getting Prepared, Prepper Supplies Checklist, Preparedness Planner, Firearms Edition. And so you, there's tons of – and I, I didn't give you the names of everybody, but there's these are people that you know in the preparedness community. I mean, a lot of a lot of people that are out there, good stuff. So uh, if you – the Prepper Bundle is only, only $29.97, and you get all of those those ebooks. And so it's 27 ebooks and three e-courses, three or three videos for 29.97. It's a digital download. You can drop that on a flash drive and start reading them and, and taking advantage of those. So I I will link to that in the show notes. Uh you, just recently I've started putting the show notes on the actual podcast catcher show notes. So hopefully that's been beneficial to you if you are uh, checking that out. A quick shout out to uh, Plan and Prepared. Um, they just listed uh, prep, the Prepper website podcast in one of the sites that they visit on a regular basis and on their resource uh, page, uh, you know, Prepper recommendations. The only And they didn't let me know that. The only reason I know that is because they linked to it and uh, it popped up as a, as a link. So... All right, so that's uh, been going long here. Let's go ahead and start with uh, the first article. And on this first article, it comes to us from the Prepper Journal, How to Survive a Venomous Snake Bite. Uh, I do want to say there are some things here that you should consider, some things that you shouldn't consider. Uh, the comments are uh, are very valuable here on this one, and so you definitely want to go check this one out. All right, so let's go ahead and start reading this one, How to Survive a Venomous Snake Bite. The best way to increase your chances of surviving a venomous snake bite is to have a contingency plan in place. Remember that your end goal should be to receive anti-venom because without a dose of anti-venom, you have almost zero chance of surviving a poisonous snake bite. Today we discuss steps you can take to act quickly to survive a venomous snake bite. As a bonus, at the end of this article, you'll also learn how to get rid of copperhead snakes. Don't make the mistake of trying to drive yourself to a hospital or waiting to see whether or not you'll display any symptoms of being poisoned. If you plan to survive a snake bite and live to tell the tale, time is of the essence. Instead, call 911 as soon as you have been bitten. 
Okay, so just a quick side note. In reading the comments, someone said yeah, this is like an invaluable, uh, or not invaluable, it's the, basically what they were saying is this is a worthless article because when we're prepping, we're prepping to, you know, uh, in an SHTF scenario. And that's, so that's not always the case, right? Um, that's not always the case of, of our preparation. You know, we prep for all kinds of different things. But uh, that does make sense, though, right? Uh, I was just thinking not necessarily uh, if we're in a collapsed situation, but uh, for us, when we go out to the country, we sneak, we see snakes all the time. And if some a snake was to bite uh, somebody, we wouldn't be calling 911 services because they're so far away. It would take them so long to get there, and uh, it would also they might not be able to get there. Uh, it just it's, it would be hard to explain to them exactly where we are. So uh, in that case, we definitely would be getting in the in the vehicle and driving to the nearest hospital. Uh, continuing on, better yet. If you're with a family member or friend, direct them to call emergency services right away. Ideally, have your companion stay on the line with emergency services as they may be able to give your friend instructions on how to best look after you. If your symptoms worsen until well, while your companion is on the phone, emergency services may choose to send a helicopter to transport you to the nearest hospital, which you will have antivenom in stock. Make sure that either you or your companion gives emergency services an accurate description of the snake that bit you. That way, emergency services will be able to ascertain what type of snake bit you and will be able to select the appropriate type of antivenom. If possible, disclose how long the snake was, how thick the snake's body was, the color of the snake, and whether or not the snake had round eyes or slit-style eyes. If a snake has a triangular-shaped head, be aware as venomous snakes often have triangular heads. If the offending snake is still around, try to get your companion. If you have on, if you have on, take a photo of the snake which bit you. Either that or kill it, and there will be no question of the species. Yeah, uh, I'm just not going to bother trying to take a picture of the snake. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be chopping the head off and taking, taking it with me. Right? Uh, <laughs> if you, if you live in an area that is frequented by snakes, it's well worth learning how to identify the different types of poisonous snakes in your area. That way, if you've ever if you're ever bitten by a venomous snake, you'll have a far better chance of correctly identifying the offending snake. So there is a link to identifying different types of poisonous snakes. Did you know that the faster you move, the faster the snake's venom will be absorbed by your body and the faster the venom will affect your body? That's why if you're in an area with phone coverage, it's far wiser to get an emergency services to rescue you rather than attempting to walk back to your car. While you may be tempted to suck the venom out of your leg or cut your wound open in order to try to remove as much venom as you can, doing so will only worsen your condition. Also, avoiding crafting a tourniquet as a tourniquet will only speed up the symptoms of your snake bite. However, if you have an ice pack handy, it is a good idea to hold the ice pack against your bite, as some research suggests that cold from an ice pack will reduce your body circulation and will decrease the speed of venom throughout your body. Remember that you'll significantly increase your chances of survival by keeping calm and waiting for emergency services to reach you. What if you're unsure of whether you've been bitten by a venomous snake or not? If you can't tell the difference between a venomous snake and a non-venomous snake, it's still wisest to call an emergency to call emergency services, as emergency services should be able to ascertain whether or not the snake that bit you is venomous. Remember that you've got nothing to lose by contacting emergency services, but if you fail to make the phone call, it could cost your life. 
Now, if you live in the area that is rife with dangerous copperhead snakes, simply continue reading to discover how to prevent snakes from exploring your property as well as how to safely remove any copperhead snakes that have already invaded your property. Make sure that your lawn is cut short and that there is no garbage in your yard. Copperhead snakes are known to hide in long grass and are attracted to garbage as it is a possible food source for hungry snakes. It's also worth cutting down or trimming any bushes that are on your property as they are also attractive to snakes who are looking for a safe hiding place. Also, make sure to seal any possible entry points to your home to prevent snakes from making their way into your home itself. By far the safest way to get rid of a copperhead snake is on your own or on your own is to place a non-lethal snake trap around your property. Such traps are a humane way to catch any snakes which are hiding on your property. Once caught, call your local council to find out how you should dispose of the live snake that you've caught. Alternatively, you may want to call a snake removal specialist to remove to remove the snake which you caught for you, for you. If you do choose to release a copperhead on your own, it's worth driving to a remote area so that the snake you release won't make its way to another family's property. If you don't want to run the risk of being bitten by a venomous copperhead, don't hesitate to call a snake removal specialist who has the appropriate skills to safely catch and release a copperhead. Keep in mind that the sooner you call a specialist, the less likely the snake on your property is likely to breed. After all, the last thing you need is a pregnant copperhead residing on your property. All right, so again, like I said, there's, uh, there's some comments here, 15 comments of people that, uh, that have left uh, comments here. Just you know, some great article. Other people are like, hey, this guy must live in New York City. Doesn't really know what he's talking about. Uh, some guy was talking about uh, uh, when he was in the military that a guy was was uh, bitten. He went to go retrieve his parachute, and um, uh, you know he he died because he started uh, his heart rate was going, and the venom got to his heart rate or to his heart really quickly, and he died. Um, so other people were like, you know, depending on where you live, I mean, there's only like three on the lower 48. There's only three different uh, venomous snakes in in uh, United States on the lower 48 and to really really know them uh you know and to be able to identify them uh and it's you know a lot of the times they're not going to be fatal uh, so anyway uh you have that in the comment section someone refers to Dr. Bones and Nersamy's uh book the survival medicine handbook cuz on page 327 to 330 they deal with that uh and again they approach it from a collapse scenario so it's something that you would you know I always recommend that book man you You've got to have that book. If you only have one prepper book of all of all kind of survival, whatever, you need to have that book. Uh, I think that one is the, the most uh, important. And that's the one that, you know, if I was getting someone a book uh, for whatever Father's Day is coming up, that's, <laughs> that's what I would give them. There's so much helpful information in there, not only the medical part of it, but the essential oils and herbs and, and, and using those kinds of things. So, um a lot there. I know that up in the country we haven't seen any any venomous snakes. We only have you know black snakes, and we don't touch those because we know that they they're going to eat rats and stuff. Uh, someone did mention uh, in the comments about having uh, a cat, and I'm not really a cat person, but if I was in a collapse situation, I would have a few cats because they eat rats and mice, and and uh, you know they're going to keep it uh, you know keep keep the area around your uh, your home. Um, you know, free of those kinds of things, uh, especially if they're not, you know, hopefully they're not house cats. Uh, they'll be free of those kinds of things because they'll be hunting those and, and eating those. So, uh, you know, something to consider there. All right. So that's a how to survive a venomous snake bite. You want to go check that one out.
All right, our next article comes to us from Ask a Prepper, and uh, this this uh, article is entitled "How to Tell When People Are Lying to You in a Crisis." I've always found this fascinating. This uh, this behavior, um, you know, the the behavior study where you can study someone's behavior and how they're acting and tell if they are lying or not. Uh, and so I I always think that that's um, you know, it, it's it's important to know that. I used to, I, I wasn't a real big fan of O'Reilly when he was on Fox, but he would have that, that woman on there, and I can't remember her name, but uh, they would always look at video and analyze it, and so she would tell them, yeah, this person really believes what they're saying, or no, they're finding ways around it because of the way that they're uh, responding. So, you know, it's always... Um, you know, that was always interesting. So this is kind of a, you know, this might whet your appetite to get you looking uh, for some more information on, on the web. Um, man, I wish I could remember that, that person's name so I could send you to her website um, that was on O'Reilly. Maybe it's someone who's uh, watching the Facebook Live can, uh, can let me know who that person is, and then I'll come back in and uh, share that, that name. Uh, but anyway, so some people in the comments here, Ask a Prepper, uh, had some people in the comments saying, yeah, some of this is a little bit of a myth. Uh, you know, some one person who I guess was maybe a lawyer was talking about um, talking about that, you know, he's had a lot of that kind of information. There's a lot of pictures here, um, but the pictures don't expand. So you might have to, um, a lot of pictures that talk about, uh, you know, eye movement and different things, facial expressions, speech. So what you might need to do is right click and save it and then get to your um get to your uh in on your computer maybe you know, blow it up a little bit and see if you can actually read what some of these uh these things are saying. So uh let's go ahead and get started on this one. <clears throat> How to tell when people are lying to you in a crisis. People lie for various reasons such as but not limited to appear credible, appeal to someone obtain something or get their way or even to defuse dangerous situations. After all, the tendency is to lie or the tendency to lie is part of the human personality and some people are going to lie more than others. It's important to recognize when you're being lied to, especially when in a situation where law or rules aren't followed and chaos wreaks havoc. Learning about lying and deception is important because it will be a matter of life or death to determine who to trust when SHTF. Follow closely as we go through the different signs of liars usually show, as well as the misconceptions about the subject. It is common to think that someone that blinks often is a liar. However, since it is a common piece of knowledge for those familiar with lying, they may react differently in the moment of lying. For example, not blinking as often as anyone else. Another example that takes those keen on detail to discover is that the pupil becomes larger for those who engage in lying. Another thing to pay attention to is that it's been noted that individuals will usually look away when lying, which over time is, has only become a myth. For example, before being properly documented, this tip has caused poor performance among law enforcement officers and the FBI has gone as far as removing that tip from their training. Looking away isn't very uncommon and most people will look up when picturing something in their head. But what gives off a lie is that a person will specifically look up and then to the left. This is a method that has been researched to be worked with the training of those FBI trainees who eventually become agents for the Behavioral Analysis Unit and law enforcement officers. 
Additionally, the Global Deception Team sampled thousands of individuals in 75 countries and uncovered that most people are not able to detect lies because they believe myths that are often shared about lying. I think that's funny, right? Um, there are links here that you might want to go and check out uh, that they're linking to here, like the Behavioral Analysis Unit and then uh, you know research that uh, th this person was uh, referring to. The University of Edinburgh of Scotland completed a research on verbal cues and, and what is often believed to be perceived as a truth or a lie. Most people believe that there are a lot of ums and broken sentences when it comes to telling a lie. While that is sometimes the case, liars are more likely to carefully control what they are saying by speaking slower. In fact, one of the oldest tips about lying is that people are more likely to speak without contractions. And that's true because they'll say, I did not do it instead of, I didn't do it. But relying on speech only and no other observations of the individual, there's a little less than 50% chance of knowing if someone's lying or not. It is also important to pay attention on how a person tells their story. Liars are more likely to tell their story in chronological order because they've rehearsed it in their mind. They, they are also less likely to admit that they've forgotten something when repeating their stories. In order to determine the validity of a story, accredited professionals like law enforcement officers in the military employ the criteria-based content analysis. Again, there's a link to that one. Uh, criteria-based content analysis method by asking the culprit to recount their story several times in order to examine storyline. This is the most accurate way of distinguishing between truthful and fabricated criminal allegations. When caught with a lie, an individual may begin to refuse to talk or may even flee if it is serious enough. Since some people are more likely to lie, it is important to be wary of outgoing people who are more who are more intelligent. Researchers have found that these individuals are a little more likely to lie than anyone else. So, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of assumptions in this uh, article that people might take exceptions with. Uh, just like, you know, uh, people who are a little bit more intelligent or outgoing people. Uh, then you also have uh, the ums and stuff. Man, if, if ums is the thing you're lying, it gives you away. I'm always lying because I'm always saying um, right? <clears throat> Body language. Body language is the easiest part that can be read and therefore it must be taken with a grain of salt depending on what matter is being assessed. It has become common knowledge that a liar will have visible responses such as tapping and more uh, sweating. That isn't entirely incorrect, but keep in mind that the personality of a person can influence them even if they are telling the truth. A more timid person may, may show similar responses to the stress brought from questioning. However, because stress is a part of the behavior someone is lying, this section is still important. The stance of a person is a big cue that indicates if someone is lying or not. When someone is lying, that person may stand on what is called a closed stance. That is, with their arms crossed or if they are sitting, they may cross their legs as well. A liar may even begin playing with their hair or touching their face more often than usual. They may also begin tapping their feet where they are standing or sitting. This is a very common occurrence. Don't feel discouraged at all when practicing lie detection. It is important to make your own checklist that you can keep mentally. Once a person meets more and more criteria, they are more likely to be lying. Also, researchers have found that the more practice a person does in lying recognition, the more effective they become, while other researchers showed that law enforcement officers and ordinary people were very similar in finding out who was lying before acquiring some training. 
If you've read this article to this point, you know more than the average person about lying, and now you can detect possible myths with actual proven methods. All right, so again, a lot of... Um, a lot of information here and you know in the comics the comment section you'll want to go check those out because people have uh you know some uh feedback in there but again there's a lot of um um let me say that um uh, there's a lot of uh graphics here that you might want to go and check out so that's askaprepper.com all right let's go ahead and move on to the next article all right our last article comes to us from preppers PreppersWill.com, and this is things to check before buying a used firearm. And I think this is a very valuable, um, a very valuable article, especially for the preparedness community, because there's a lot of things to think about here. And uh, so let's go ahead and get into this one. Um, again, PreppersWill.com, things to check before buying a used firearm. Almost every American has a firearm or two and we can't imagine our lives without them. Since not every family has a gun budget, I suggest buying a used firearm. It will help you save money for your other prepping plans. To make sure you made the right purchase, pay attention to the following before buying a used firearm. If you come to think about it, a firearm is actually a worthy investment. Even more, as preppers, we consider our rifles and handguns as being the best deterrents. They will protect us against looters and other elements of society that wishes harm when it hits the fan. Some people have no problem dropping a few hundred dollars on a firearm, while others have to save for months before making a purchase. For those wanting to make a firearm purchase in the near future, I suggest you start saving money right now. You would be surprised to discover that even just a few dollars a week will add up over time. If you pay attention to used firearms for sale during gun shows as well as through online or newspaper ads, you should have no problem buying a used firearm. Showing a handful of green bills will help you negotiate a lower price since we all know that cash is king. Before you take all your savings and go to the nearest gun show, you should do your homework. As a first step, you should at least know what different firearms are worth. Even better, ask a friend who has that knowledge to accompany you. It will help you learn firsthand and spend your money well when buying a used firearm. You can probably imagine that prices of firearms fluctuate based on geography and laws in effect. As an additional tip, I can tell you that the popularity of a given make or model can greatly influence the final price. Brands such as Glock or Remington can put a higher price on their handguns based on name recognition alone. As a starting well, okay, I just want to, a Glock or a Remington, it's not just, when you're buying a Glock or a Remington, you're not just buying name there, you're buying a good, good firearm, and so I uh, just wanted to add that to that. Um, continuing on, as a starting point, you should expect to pay around 200 to $300 for a shotgun or low-budget handgun. If you want a good quality rifle, add another 100 to 300 Keep in mind that these prices for buying a used firearm, not a brand new one. And I would, I think, uh, like a Mossberg uh, 500, is it 500 or 550, sorry, um, I can't remember exactly, would be just at 300, maybe a little bit more. And now that, that wasn't, that's an old, old price, you know, going back a few years. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to come back and talk a little bit about that in just a minute. Um, as I said before, uh, there's that um again. As I said before, if you want to save money for other prepping plans, you should buy a used firearm rather than a new one. You can always find some really good deals at gun shows, and I recommend visiting as many as possible. There are people walking around with guns in their hands that they are looking to sell. 
it's quite easy to spot them and you should expect a haggle. Even gun stores have a selection of used weapons they are trying to get rid of. My father used to say that you need to pay attention when you buy a used car or else you could be buying someone else's problem. I can honestly say that the same goes when you're buying a used firearm. It is critical to know what to look for and properly inspect the firearm before handing over your hard-earned money. Experience comes in time and during your first purchase, you should ask an experienced family member or a friend to come with you. Upon being given permission from the seller, pick your firearm of choice and make sure it's unloaded. Try to gently shake the firearm and listen for any loose rattling. If you hear something, that should be a cause for concern. Make sure to ask about the history of the firearm. The seller may not know about the previous owner, but it never hurts to ask. Some sellers are honest and they will tell you the truth, while others will start to feed you a story. Rather than giving any real details, this could be a sign that the seller is hiding something. Try to buy from honest and forthcoming sellers. Check the weapon on all sides and look at it closely. Some people are reticent when they see small nicks and scratches, but those are normal and won't affect the operation of the firearm. When buying a used firearm, you should stay away from anything that looks bent or if there are missing screws or something. If that's the case, move to the next firearm or seller. Ask permission to cycle the weapon a few times. This will help you establish if all the parts that are supposed to move do so freely. It will also help you notice if the parts that aren't supposed to move st stay put. If all the above meets your expectations and you are going to make a reasonable offer, move to the next task. Ask Ask permission to field strip or partially disassemble the firearm. Even the seller could do it to allow you to check the barrel and other interior parts. Do so if you are honest about making the purchase and don't waste the seller's time. Check for rust spots inside the bore and notice if it looks dirty or not. If rust or dirt is present, that's a clear sign that the firearm wasn't properly maintained. After all of this is time to bargain on the purchase. Haggling is expected, but you should be reasonable about it. Check online ahead of time so you know what the weapon is truly worth. Don't offend the seller by offering a ridiculously low price when buying a used firearm. You will just lose time, irritate the seller, and you won't make a deal. Also, take into account the condition of the firearm and any accessories the seller may include. You could pay more for a used firearm, but you will make it up for it. You will make up for it if you negotiate accessories like holster and ammunition. Rather than buying the latest and shiniest handgun, rifle or shotgun, you see in magazines, check the secondhand market first. You will be amazed how many good de deals you could find. I used to check Facebook groups for buying a used firearm or various accessories. Since they banned gun sales, I now rely on gun shows, online ads, and various magazines. I recommend looking for deals on used firearms rather than spending all your hard-earned money on the latest polymer design. All right, so I, I just wanted to add a couple of things here, um, just you know, a adding information to it. Uh, there, there are a couple of comments. One of the comments was uh, a guy is like, "Hey, I go to, um, you know, I always go to Backpage.com. I believe that was that's it. Hold on, I think it's .com. Um, yeah, back. Well, it's just Backpage, but I'm pretty sure it's Backpage.com, and uh, you can find uh, you can find firearms there um, and uh, negotiate there as well. There was another there was another website that just completely just focused on firearms. I cannot remember the name though to save my life. If someone remembers, uh, drop me a line so I can uh, bring that one up. It's just been so so long ago since I was even you know looking at those kinds of things. A um, couple of things about about gun shows. 
you might not always find the best price. Now, here in, in Houston, the big gun show, oh, there's, there's a couple of gun shows. There's some that happen uh, every other weekend you know, on different uh, sides of, of uh, on the south side and on the north side. So Pasadena, Houston, or you know, the Houston area, and then up north, Conroe, there's a gun show like every other weekend. And then um, every so often, once a month, they go to the main convention center in Houston, uh, the George R. Brown Convention Center. And uh, so you go there. Uh, what I have noticed that you're not always getting a really good deal there. Uh, I have seen prices for firearms there and then compared them to my local firearm uh, dealer. And my local firearm dealer has lower prices. So something to consider there. If you don't have a lot of uh firearms you know dealers around you then yeah that might be your the way that you you go um but if not you know i always think that building a good rapport building a, a strong relationship with someone that's local that you go into that they you know they know you maybe you're not going in there every single day or every week but at least they they remember you that hey you know you've purchased firearms here before um they will be willing to work with you and give you that extra you know that extra customer service there yeah you know, when you do those kinds of things so you you're not always finding the best deal when you go buy a new a gun at a, at a gun gun show. So I just want to kind of throw that out. You you really need to know what you're looking for. You really need to know prices. If you're buying your first gun, make sure that you go with someone who you know knows what to look for uh, and can walk you through. Hopefully, you've gone to a shooting range that can will rent out rep, weapons, firearms to you, and uh, so you can get a good feel for what you're looking for. And so you're just not going to the gun gun show buying something and then coming home with it and not being not being happy with it. There's been so many people that I know that have done that and they just they don't use it for whatever reason. So that's that. If you're buying a used firearm at a gun show, what you want to do is you want to go early. So the 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 article is right. There are people that do um walk around and they're selling firearms, you will see them all over the place. And so it's just something like, hey, is that something you're selling? And like, yeah, you engage with them. You can go off to the side and you can you know, check out their, their, their firearm and kind of go from there. Um, uh, the, the reason I say go early is that because there's people that will buy booths. And they will they will buy booths and maybe they're getting rid of a few pieces, but you know they want to set up. Or I have seen this as well: somebody who's maybe like sharpening knives, or they're selling uh, leather goods, or they're selling something else that normally you would find at a gun show. But they have a few used firearms there, and you know they uh, you know they're willing to part with those things. So I made the mistake once of passing one up. We got there pretty early. Uh, and I talked to this one guy. He was on the first row that we went. You know, we just you normally go through the rows, and uh, he was on the first row. And uh, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, came back to uh, to discuss it, and uh, it was already gone. And so, you know, something to to consider. It's something that you want to do uh, if you're really interested in that. Is finding those those great deals and getting there early. You might even, and I have heard of stories. Uh, I had a friend who attended one uh, that there was people waiting in line. So this was back when the ammo shortage and all that kind of stuff uh, things were so expensive. Uh, there was a guy who had uh, he had an AR and he was in line waiting to go into the gun show. So he was going to sell it. Someone 
approached him in line said hey are you selling that and he said yes of course i am and so they you know they looked at it they made the deal even before going into the gun show and so the guy didn't even have to go in you are going to spend money so again part of that buying a firearm um you know the one that i'm talking about downtown houston is you pay a ton of money for parking Right, unless you're going to find uh, a free parking space far away, and then if you're carrying something from the gun show, you don't want to be walking far away. But so you're paying for parking there, then you pay to get in, and then you, you know, a lot of the times you don't buy anything if you're if you're just kind of you know just looking around. So a, a lot of money can be forked out there. So all those things to kind of consider. Another thing, um, you might or might not want to exchange paperwork uh, if you are. Wanting this, you know, uh, to have this unregistered firearm in Texas, you can, you know, you, th that's very, very possible to do. Um, so that might be a criteria that you're interested in, and that might be one reason why you go to a to a gun show is, uh, you know, you don't you you don't want to have that that um, that documentation out there, right? Um, you need to be very careful with that. I remember talking with one guy who uh, who has some experience, and he was a concealed handgun uh, license uh, trainer. He had a school, and he made this great deal. Uh, he thought it was a great deal, and the guy that sold it to him, it was you know he didn't have any paperwork, nothing like that. The guy who sold it to him said something. I can't remember the comment, but it was a comment that is like uh, usually prison speak. And uh, when and he was familiar with the jail system and all that kind of stuff, and when he heard that, he was like, "Oh man, you know, I hope this isn't a hot gun. I hope this isn't a stolen gun." That's one of the things that you can't you can't always tell uh, when you're when you're buying a used firearm like that, and there's no paperwork exchange. So there are positives and negatives to all of that. All those things you have to weigh. Uh, you know, you need to be smart. Definitely, if you buy a used firearm. And there is no paperwork exchange. I would not use that for concealed carry at all. I would not. I, if you're going to conceal carry, I would uh, straight up, you know, purchase that uh, firearm. So it's yours from right off the uh, right off the uh, the line. Right. There's just a lot of benefits from that. All right. So uh, hopefully that's helpful to you. I know there's a lot of new uh, people uh, listening to the to the podcast and a lot of new preppers out there. So hopefully that is something when you consider your, uh, your firearm purchase. All right. Hey guys, get a, if you, if you haven't had a chance, come over to the new Facebook group. Uh, you can easily get to it. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. So it's easy for you to get to for those of you who don't come to the, to the website, but, uh, you can easily get to it from the website on the top. It says free Facebook group, go there, be a part of that community. Um, I try to hang out there, uh, you know, more more so, and and actually, you know, uh, engage in conversation more so there than uh, the Prepper website group or the Prepper website uh, just Facebook page, uh, just because it lends itself a little bit better, I think, to uh, you know, building those relationships and connecting with other people. So if you get a chance, go ahead and, and come out and do that um, and uh, be a part of that. And uh, if you haven't been a part of the mailing list, come join that as well. It's been growing. I'm very happy with that. Um, you know, and uh, I'm always happy with the feedback that I get from that as well. When you join the mailing list, you do get linked up with the free e-course. So there is a free e-course that you get, and uh, it'll just come to you automatically every week when you sign up for that. 
All right. Um, again, come to the website if you uh, if you if you can and drop me a line or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Always love to hear from you. All right. So that's it for episode eighty-one. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.